So, tonight's a Came to Believe meeting. Uh, Came to Believe is a designed as an outlet for the rich diversity of convictions implied in God as we understood him. Our co-founder, Dr. Bob, said, We are not bound by theological doctrine. We are many minds in our organization. First, I'm going to read a chapter from the Came to Believe book, and then our three wonderful speakers will discuss their experience with the Coming to Believe process. So, for any of you that have a book and want to follow along, I am on page 29. Tonight, I'm going to read Total Surrender. What has always impressed me most about the program and myself is the constant, continuing challenge to try recapturing some of the true and honest rapture I felt upon Total Surrender when I first came into AA. For me, that special peace of mind has never been duplicated. Now, after all the accumulated 24-hour periods, I realize that it probably never will be. I have come close to it a few times, but it's never the same. I think there is a relationship between that feeling and our need at the time we were introduced to the program. Our motivation, I believe, is a combination of enough hurt and the grace of God. Surely a strange combination. I would not know how to express it to anyone outside AA. All right, so our first speaker is going to be Carrie, and her home group is High Nooners. All right, well, I'm Carrie. I'm an alcoholic. Um, Yeah, I'm super nervous to do this, but I'm going to do the best I can. So, spirituality for me, um, when I first came into AA, it was it was tough. I, I mean, I was I was definitely raised for the whole like Catholic religion, and I had the I had that common feeling that the whole. God concept really almost took me out of AA completely. But as I have been working with other alcoholics, I've learned that as far as spirituality goes for me, it was really um, as I grew in my sobriety, my idea of a higher power has evolved. So it's never been one constant concept for me it um so like it's it's always been difficult to explain exactly what my higher power looks like to me but i know that i just know that there there's a force out there that I don't know, that just takes, that I can give my, that I can give my will to, that like, I don't have to, I don't have to take on the stress and all of that of trying to manipulate situations anymore. I can just, I can just give it, I can just give it to my higher power and whatever, stage of my sobriety I'm at, it, I, I don't know, it's really confusing for me, but, um, 
I, I just know that there that my higher power has always been there for me and it's always made sure that it puts people and situations in my life that I don't that it's there there's no way that it's a coincidence that because I'm a really hard-headed person that I need those I need those situations in my life in order to open my eyes to, like, what to do. I can't just do the next right thing by myself. I need that help to do it. And that's really um, what... That's really what spirituality means to me. Like, that, that it's a constant, evolving experience for me because... If I get too comfortable with one higher power, then, like, I'll start thinking that, you know, I I gave everything to them, like, I told them everything, and, like, I don't need to do it anymore. So, as I progress in my sobriety, my higher power progresses as well, and that bond between me and it gets stronger and I, I become a better person and that's really all I've got. So, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Carrie. Uh, next, we're going to have Pete from Eastside Men's. I did not come here prepared to talk. I talked last night. and I'm not in the same situation where I can sit down and read a little piece and then decide that that's what I'm going to say about something specifically. But I'll tell you what I think about my spirituality and my connection to a higher power. Today I have a higher power that I know I call the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit sits on my right shoulder every day. I put him there and he sits there. Over here is my ego. My ego is driving me to do things I don't, shouldn't and don't want to do. So all I do is reach over and say, take care of this guy. And he does. <laughs> I mean, believe it or not, a guy cut me off. I'll just reach over and touch that. Cause my first instinct is when I go right after the guy and do harm. I mean, that's my life. I came into Alcoholics Anonymous because my wife was throwing me out of the house. That's a spiritual experience. <laughs> I am. I went and talked to an old, an old crotchety guy at, uh, that morning, and he told me that uh, my life was unmanageable when I drank. Well, you understand, for me, at that moment in time, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I did not have a problem with drinking. I did not have a problem with the accidents that I was having. I didn't have the problems with the police I was having. I didn't have a problem with being thrown off a plane forever. I mean, none of those things were my fault. I just drank too much. And they didn't understand me. And so I came into the program, and when I was a kid, I used to go to church all the time. And I'd sit there, and I was so impressed with what I was doing, I would be putting my initials in the back of the pew. You know. that, was, that was my uh, meditation. And uh, so I, I, I had very, very short 
memory as to what a higher power would be. And the only thing I knew about a higher power in those days was that any time I ever asked him for something, it never happened. Not the way I wanted it, anyhow. So I come into Alcoholics Anonymous, and my first experience with a higher power was the first night I go to my first meeting. A guy picks me up, and he, he takes me to a meeting, and it's the Tuesday night discussion meeting, and he tells me that there was going to be a person talking, and they're going to go around the room, and uh, when it gets to me, you'll be quiet. And when it got to me, I had a lot to say. But <laughs> But before I could say it, my spiritual experience was two elbows in my guts. <laughs> and they had a habit of putting elbows in my gut on a regular basis, so I didn't have a chance to speak for six months. Because, you see, I was loaded with such an ego when I came into the program that they had to take it out of me. And so they took it out of me, so I had a lot of those experiences. So I had a sponsor who, that night, when he found out, when we discussed that he was going to be my sponsor... We discussed the different things, and he said, Now, look, you probably don't believe in God. I said, I believe in him, but I don't trust him. He said, That's okay. From this point on, I'm your higher power. All you need to do is whatever you need to talk about is to call me and talk to me about it, and I will t tell you what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And I had such a relief because they didn't have to think. One of the experiences of being in the service is you don't have to think. All you have to do is do. And so I had a guy that was told me what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And so I was, my early sobriety was based upon that. And we went through the steps, and we talked about the higher power, and he talked about he being the higher power. And he said, in certain time in your life, a new higher power come into an experience into existence. I came to Rochester in 1979. I still had a, a connection to a higher power through the, my sponsor and through my group. I didn't have any other. But I'm walking the canal on one day, one early morning at 5:30, which I did many times. And as I walked along, all of a sudden. Everything changed. Everything was the same, but it all changed. Everything I looked at had a different point of view, had a different love, had a different understanding of what a higher power is. Because up to that point, I was told to get on my knees, whatever my problem was in the morning, and ask this higher power not to let, help me not drink that day, whether I believed or didn't believe. And I did that. And it worked. I didn't have to drink. But along the way, many things come along that you could call a higher spirit. One of the experiences and one of the fun things that I've learned to do recently, because my friend Carl and I were coming back from meeting one night, we were talking about this subject, and we talked about it, and so we, what we did is we talked to each other about going back to the beginning of our drinking. And to identify where the higher power was in existence at the moment. That's a heck of a fun thing to do. Because when you do that, you'll find out that the higher power that you may know today, or will come to know, is in fact looking after you all the way. And so I do that, and I have fun doing that. But then, walking this canal, the carp were jumping out of the canal. The flowers were the same flowers. The, there was a crane that flew over every day. 
this day was different because this crane was going over screeching, 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 and another crane came screeching back, and they took off together. So, I mean, he was looking a long time, I guess. So, so I, I, that's the type of what I call an experience for Pete and anything. And another one I would tell you about, and this is, goes to, Megan's talking about the grapevine. I don't know if there's a grapevine meeting out in, on, uh, outside of Macedon. And I was there one night, and they have a bunch of old grapevines laying on the table, and they'll say to you, if you're going to be the chairperson, pick one and read from it, whatever you want, and then talk about it. So I was to do that that night, and I picked up this grapevine, an old one, and I read it. Now, one of my problems in, in, in um, making amends was to my parents. I had not found a way to do that comfortably and honestly. Now, I'm reading this, and it says, a th the title was Three-Way Hug. And I'm reading this, and it talks about this man who hated his parents. They died, as mine had, and he didn't know how to make the amends he was supposed to make. So he said he went to the cemetery, and he stood there, and he imagined his mother and father coming out of the grave and standing there, and hugging him. And I knew that's what I could do. But what I didn't know until I got to the bottom, it was written by my new sponsor, Owen. That's a spiritual experience. And I have had those kind of experiences in my sobriety. Because I, unlike the reading... That person that didn't find, couldn't find, and was always searching for what he had at the beginning, I've never lost that. It has grown. It has grown and it has grown. Because I know through my experience with the Holy Spirit and my experiences in that way, that in my life of sobriety, things have happened and things have come into play. Well, the only thing that was to help me survive in that situation was a connection to a higher power. And that's my whole experience because if I'm not connected to a higher power or whatever you want to call it, then how can you have a, an experience? The experiences are there, we just don't recognize them. I have two wives that died with me in this program and both of those wives were wonderful people. But one of my most famous spiritual experiences took place with my first wife. I was six months sober. And was the meeting was about going to any length to protect your sobriety. The wife goes, the dog goes, the husband goes, the job goes. Whatever it is that goes, you're going to lose it anyhow. So I took that to heart and went home. And a woman was sitting on the couch reading the paper. And I said to her, sweetheart, if you get in the way of my sobriety, you've got to go. <laughs> to which she said, listen, Buster, drunk or sober, if you don't change, you're out of here. <laughs> so I was to ask my sponsor, I called him immediately and told him what happened. And he said, well, what we have to do then, Pete, and I said, well, she's, you know, she's going to get in the way of my sobriety and she's going to you know, cause me to drink. But she's not going to change. And so, he said, well, here's what we're going to do, Pete. On your first anniversary, you can tell her you're going to divorce her. 
But on the next statement he made is, you haven't dated a woman sober in your life, because I started drinking at the age of 13, I was a drunk from that point on. He said, we've got to teach you how to date. I looked around the, woman, the room and saw these ladies like here tonight. And I said, Mao, this is going to be great. <laughs> My second spiritual experience, he says, we're going to practice on your wife. And so we were to practice on my wife and my wife. And, and then he said, now we got to start in the steps. And I started the steps. Another spiritual experience. If you haven't had the spiritual experiences of getting into the steps with a heart and no response, you haven't done it yet. And I, uh, after the first year, that woman had changed so much. I mean, the experience of her becoming a wonderful woman, becoming a nice woman. She's gorgeous and sexy and all those things she wasn't for 20 years. <laughs> she was. I had changed, and she had always been that. I'm Pete. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. Uh, last up, we have Stan from Oliver Grand. Hi, everyone. I'm Stan. I'm uh, an alcoholic. And uh, Oliver Grand is my home group. It's been uh, since day one. And just to, uh, I forgot during the announcements, uh, on the 23rd, we're having an anniversary, 47 years. And uh, there'll be food and all kinds of stuff. It starts at 7, and the speaker starts at 8, and she's got over 60 years. So we'd love to have you. And uh, for Came to Believe, I, my thinking was just so distorted growing up and um, the way I thought. I thought I was better uh, than people. And uh, because I had to outdo you. You know, that was that, that spiritual uh, defect I had. And um, I just, uh, that was the alcoholism. And then, you know, the, the alcohol, and I later got into drugs. But the spirituality I had was always, I was different. You know, I was always the loud kid in class, the flirt, all those things. And really, I was hiding what I felt inside. And I, I grew up Catholic, and I still am. I found out no reason to change. But my spirituality, um, I'm not a good one. Um, I go to church, but I'm not a good one. Uh, I fall short a lot of times, and uh, I take my will back. Uh, I turn it over every morning. Um, but a lot of times I take it back. And when I take it back, it doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? I, I feel guilt. It doesn't feel right. Uh, I always know what the next right thing to do is. I was brought up proper. And, uh, well, <laughs> if you call the Osborns proper, I mean, <laughs> I can't lie. And uh, it, it, was, uh, it was an interesting uh, household. But anyway, I, um, my grandmothers were religious, um, and uh, I hit a bottom. And uh, I, I, I did well for myself when I wasn't drinking. Uh, I had a house, not that it matters, but at 19 years old, I had a lot of things, my own business and everything, and I, I would look down on people who didn't, you know, like, how could you do this, how could you, you know, look what I'm doing, and, you know, the ego and pride was just, I, I said I was humble and helpful, but I wasn't, you know, I was always in the back of my mind thinking, you know, so my life crashed uh, due to 
not taking care of my feelings because if you don't take care of your feelings, they will take care of you. And um, I suppressed them and hid them and distracted myself through my whole life. I mean, it's like a little kid when you jingle the keys, you know, he automatically stops. And that's what I had to do for my alcoholism. Um, it would get carried out of, uh, carried away. And alcoholism, I really mean my spirituality, you know, because that's what it, it really came down to. Because there was a time I wouldn't have done these things until I lowered the bar and lowered the bar and then I would do them. And that's the lack of my spirit. And um, I, I just, uh, I, I got a bad accident and I was stuck with myself. You know, when they talk about powerlessness, I couldn't jingle the keys. I couldn't just, you know, make a joke or do this or do that. Uh, I was stuck with myself, and uh, that, that's when it really took off. It was always there. It was always there, but it really took off there. I, I lost all hope, and I didn't care. You know, they, uh, they told me some things that, you know, when somebody tells me that, that something today bad, like go home, be comfortable, you're going to die. Okay, well, we're all going to die. <laughs> I like being comfortable, so it's really nothing new, you know what I mean? And just because somebody says that, the best thing I can do is live, live a healthy, clean life, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And when it's my time, like anybody else, i got to go, you know, and uh, it's a circle of life. Hopefully it's not for a while, but like anything else, he said that, and my brain, alcoholic brain, took off with it. And I just wanted to self-destruct. I says, uh, I'm not going to go out that way. Uh, everything was it just, uh, you know... Uh, the opposite of spirituality, really. They're just tools that I used. They were negative tools I used to drink a drug. And um, come to find out, uh, I, I hit a bottom. And um, I reached out to my God. You know what I mean? It's the only one I had because I had trust issues real bad. Some were legit, some weren't. Um, I, I just... Uh, I can't tell you how low I was. I mean, I just was, uh, as they say, the scorecards read zero, everyone. There was nothing left. And um, I, I heard of AA, and I, I looked at Jesus, and I said, wow, you know, if you guys drink like me and you're all here, great. That's not an option for me. And until I changed the way I thought, nothing changed. You know, I would get a little time, I would, but the same person will drink again, which I found out in my literature, going through it with a sponsor, which I said I'd never have because of trust issues and all these things, if I didn't change, if I didn't take that leap of faith, like I took a leap of faith when I drank, I knew what it was going to do. I didn't sit there and say, oh, I'll be fine after, you know, drinking something that would pollute, you know, pollute me. And um, I just took a leap of faith because they says, you know, that's what you got to do. I mean, nobody could do this for you. And um, I remember that well when uh, they... There was a 12-step call, and they brought me to uh, the psych ward. And, um, you know, I got out, and I closed the door, and I didn't hear no other doors. And there was like five people, three, four people. And I'm like, come on, you guys got to walk me in, poor Stan, this and that. And uh, I said, no, this you got to do on your own. I'm like, and all of a sudden I could hear my mother as a little kid. 